You guys, we just had the most amazing weekend. Oh my gosh, we are coming down from a high off life. Yeah, we're feeling a little bit like celebrities uh, <laughs> because we won the Becky Fest Award for uh, Becca Fest. It's the Becky Award at Becca Fest for best radio PSA or commercial. Yeah, so the promo we put together for our little show here took home the took home the Becky. It was really cool. Uh, it's our, you know, first time submitting anything from our show, mm-hmm. and it's actually the only category we submitted for, and it felt really really good to win. So thank you guys so much for your support and for loving the show and letting us do our uh, weird little thing over here. Yeah, it feels so good to be validated like that because we put our blood, sweat and tears in to it but mostly blood yeah and also a lot of other people's blood a lot of other people's blood (laughs) there's a lot of blood involved in our program basically we're just hauling around buckets and we're really thankful for you that you've been able to donate (laughs) all of your vital essence to our marvelous marvelous show yeah and we still want your blood send us vials we want your Mm -hmm. tears send us vials we're not being metaphorical let me make this explicitly clear we are completely serious we have a p.o box send us your blood send us your blood so we should get into the show yeah anyway on (laughs) On that note yeah Uh, so i am going to start talking about frankenstein we have been covering a little bit of universal monsters we touched on swamp thing who makes my heart sing swamp thing Mm -mm, you make my heart Heart sing. sing Why not move on to Frankenstein, another classic? Mary Shelley began writing Frankenstein in 1816 at the age of 18 during a visit to Lake Geneva with her soon-to-be husband, Percy Shelley. Percy. Percy! Long lost name. Yeah, it should make a comeback. Uh, The poet Lord Byron and their physician, John Polidori. The weather was stormy and inhospitable, and after days of being confined indoors, they decided to entertain themselves with a scary story competition. It's the perfect weather for it. What else do you do on a spooky, spooky night? In the prologue to her novel, Mary writes... Many and long were the conversations between Lord Byron and Shelley, to which I was a devout but nearly silent listener. Various philosophical doctrines were discussed, and among others, the nature of the principle of life, and whether there was any probability of it ever being discovered and communicated. Perhaps a corpse would be reanimated. Galvanism had given token of such things. Perhaps the component parts of a creature might be manufactured, brought together, and endued with vital warmth. What's galvanism? Is that what galvanism is? Yeah, we're going to talk about galvanism. Galvanism is the idea that scientists could use electricity to resuscitate a dead body. And we'll talk about who invented it. All right, but there's a little truth to that. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after listening to this conversation Mary went to bed but she didn't sleep instead she was confronted with this waking nightmare where she saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working of some powerful engine showed signs of life and stir with an uneasy half vital motion Frightful must it be, for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. Damn. Yeah, a theme that shows up a lot in Frankenstein is 
playing God. Like, Who are you to play God? At this time, life and death weren't in complete opposition to one another. The French Encyclopedia uh, distinguished between incomplete and absolute death, stating that there is no remedy for death is an axiom widely admitted. We, however, are willing to affirm that death can be cured. One of Shelley's doctors even wrote a book on how to distinguish a real death from a fake one. Decomposition was the only definite sign of death. <laughs> hey, if there's no heartbeat, they could still be alive. They could still shoot up. That's why people installed bells at the tops of graves, because they were so afraid of being buried alive around this time. Also, what, what year is this? What, what time period is this? The early 1800s, probably about 1818. So everyone was so sick that they were pretty much between life and death all the time. At any moment, yes. Many medical professionals at the time were exploring methods to bring people back from the dead. And this was one of those ideas, which was named after Luigi Galvani, an Italian doctor who was able to make a frog's leg twitch. Queen hooked it up to like an electric charge. Ooh, yeah. baby, I can make your frog leg twitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let's just share some of that chemistry, that spark <laughs> with these frog legs. <laughs> Aren't they an aphrodisiac? There's a million things that are aphrodisiacs. I wouldn't be surprised if frog legs was one of them. I would be very surprised if frog legs was one of them. Oysters are one of them. And those are fucking weird. Uh, yeah, but I also like oysters could, could potentially represent like the female anatomy. It's very yonic. It's true. Yeah. Oh, very yonic. I like that. Yeah. It's the opposite of phallic. phallic. The yoni. Yoni. Shout out to all the yonis out there. Mm -hmm. This is a very yoni centric show. Uh, yeah. Especially in these times that we're having right now. Protect thy yoni. Oh, my God. Everyone's trying to invade the yonis. No, not on my watch. Not on my watch. So Galvanists wanted to use this technology to pave the way for electric resurrection. Oh my God, another great band name. Electric Resurrection. So if Frankenstein were actually real, he would never have been able to do this electric resurrection because of brain death, basically, and tissue incompatibility. Doctors can perform organ transplants, but the tissue has to be compatible, right? Right. And that might be hard to test for if you're getting your organs via graves. Is it still good? Well, how long has it been down there? Yeah, I don't know. Getting a little sketchy. Like something that's been shoved in the back of the fridge for too long. Right? Like, you're oh, like, is that freezer burn? Can I still use this for my experiments? <laughs> it's still good. Brush it's the dirt good. off. Galvanism did pave the way for electrophysiology, which is the study of how tissues and cells use electricity. Electricity. And without that field, we wouldn't have defibrillators. Their powerful electric shocks can be used to correct abnormal cardiac rhythm, but they cannot restart a heart that's already stopped beating. Clear! Clear! <laughs> Clear! Damn, that, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking of when you said that, though, is like, it's not actually resuscitation. No, no, it's not. It doesn't actually stop the heart from... But if someone's like starting to lose it if their hearts and moving chaotically that's it's, what they it do it, it resets it so if someone's brain is still fully living um but their heart stops for like two seconds is that it or can the defibrillator that's a good question i know that my grandpa was actually clinically dead for 10 minutes and he was revived there's probably exceptions to that but generally i don't think it can restart a heart 
Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So in 1751, England passed the Murder Act, which allowed the bodies of executed murderers to be used in scientific experiments. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. People studying anatomy were desperately in need of bodies around this time, and nobody would really feel that bad about dissecting a murderer. So after hearing about Galvani's work with electric currents, Scottish chemist Andrew Urey decided to test his theories on human bodies. Yuri acquired the body of a 35-year-old coal miner, Matthew Clydesdale. In August 1818, Clydesdale was hung for murder, then drained of blood for a half an hour before Yuri's experiments. Damn. Yuri held a research demonstration at the University of Glasgow. He stood in a lecture hall in front of a crowd of students and doctors holding two electrified rods. <laughs> Yuri approached the body and pressed the rods against several nerves, causing it to writhe and convulse. Ah, it's like a marionette show. Yeah. Everybody dance, come around. Puppet. Watch me make this little dead man dance. Doing the cha-cha slide. He describes how the corpse's convulsions resembled a violent shuddering from cold and how every muscle in his countenance was simultaneously thrown into fearful action. So not as fun as the cha-cha slide. Rage, horror, despair, anguish, and ghastly smiles (laughs) united their hideous expression in the murderer's face. At this period, several of the spectators were forced to leave the apartment from terror or sickness, and one gentleman fainted. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe not super fun when this chemist, he's not even an anatomist. He just decided, oh, I do chemistry. It's the same thing, right? Let me just electrocute this dead man. The idea of the sanctity of a dead body has always been around, but it was so much less like, still, they had to steal from graves to do this. Like it wasn't like common practice and that's why they used murderers. But it's crazy how it's progressed to the fact we won't even do that today. Hanging a dead body and then shocking it in front of a room full of people just to see what happens is like, it would so not go down. Yeah, it's crazy how soon they died before this. I wonder if he like met with these murderers while they were still alive. Like, hi, I'm going to be playing with your dead body later today. Any requests? <laughs> He's like, fun music can you make me you. do the cha-cha slide? Yeah. <laughs> slide one to the left. Time for one last time. Slide to the right. Take it back now, y'all. Boo. <laughs> one hop this time. Boo. Right foot, let's stomp. Boo, boo, boo Rigor boo. mortis, rigor <laughs> mortis. <laughs> <laughs> so when Yuri touched the rod to the murderer's clenched fist, he extended his forefinger and waved his arm around it as if pointing at members of the audience. Don't you mess with my dead body. I see what you're doing. This is cruel. This is not How good. unsettling. Bad. Bad. Oh my God. Yeah. The murderer's chest also rose and fell as if the body was still breathing. <laughs> So scary. Gnarly. However, Yuri could not induce a heartbeat. He wrote, no pulsation could be observed, meanwhile, at heart or wrists, but it may be supposed that for the evacuation of the blood, the essential stimulus of that organ, this phenomenon might also have occurred. This one's nuts. Giovanni Aldini, the nephew of Luigi Galvini, obtained the body of an ox and used electricity to twist its tongue around. And he actually sent so much electricity through the ox's diaphragm that it caused, quote, a very strong action on the rectum, which even produced an expulsion of the feces. Oh, my God. Exploding diarrhea. (laughs) Well, we figured out one thing we could do with electricity. 
That's just what Taco Bell does to me. <laughs> Clean your right out. Who needs an enema? Uh-huh. A little constipation. Let me just uh, get some electrodes right on there. Produce a very strong action on the rectum. Oh, they have small like elect- electric patches that people use for period cramps. Have you seen those? It's like no. two little electrodes and it's a, like a tiny little pack and it sends. Mm. I've never tried it because they're expensive. I've tried something like that on my back because some of my parents, like some of them, <laughs> my par- both of my parents have back problems sometimes. And so this thing will ma- like make the muscles seize and then relax. And something about that is supposed to help um, with back pain. So I guess that's a little bit of electric, electric power. Modern day galvanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the galvanist scientific goals were not all that different from Victor Frankenstein. After all, Dr. Frankenstein wanted to produce life from dead matter. Frankenstein is considered the first work of science fiction as well as the greatest romantic novel. Not romance as in like, oh, Frankenstein, show me that, those stitches on your cold dead body. Are but, those uh, bolts in your neck or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> I love that brow, that <laughs> protruding brow. So manly. Oh, Boris Karloff, you should take it Karloff. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So romanticism, that's not what romanticism is. Romanticism was a movement in the early to mid 1800s focused on emotional truth and free expression. Frankenstein's subtitle is The Modern Prometheus, which is an allusion to a Greek myth in which Prometheus steals fire from the gods and gives it to humankind to save them from bitter cold. Mm. As punishment, Zeus condemns Prometheus to have his liver consumed by an eagle for all time. You shall be fragois. Yeah, he's. You don't want to piss off Zeus. He's a vengeful god. Yeah, the only the only person who hates when people play God more than God is Zeus. Zeus. Yeah, Shelley compares Doctor Frankenstein to Prometheus because he's also being punished for interfering in God's domain. However, it's not just that Frankenstein is unethical for using technology to create life, but because he neglected and abandoned his creation. Oh, and we'll talk more about that after a quick song. Ladies and gentlemen, Bride of Frankenstein by Bloodsucking Zombies from Outer Space. Yes! All right, everyone. Welcome back. Today we're talking about Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster, actually. Frankenstein is the doctor, in case you weren't aware. People like to be very uh, picky about that, but it's true. It's not just that Frankenstein used technology to interfere in God's domain by creating a living being, but because he didn't love it, he went through all of this trouble to create this thing, and then when he sees it, he's frightened by it. But Frankenstein's monster wasn't born evil. He was kind and sensitive until he was spurned by his creator. Just like me. Yeah. Just kidding. Love you, Mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not just like you, because uh, Victor Frankenstein eventually loses all he holds dear. The monster kills his brother, his best friend, and his fiance. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's ultimate punishment for um, creating something. It's like, you didn't love me, Dad. Let me just kill everyone you know. He must have been a cancer. Mm -hmm. Even though Frankenstein's monster is frequently compared to the devil in the novel. Why? No. It's just he's an angel cast out of heaven by God in a sense. He's like. God was like, nah, you creepy. You'd look weird. Get out of here. He's probably the most sympathetic character in the book, though. For all of the horror and grotesque appearance that he has, he's still a really sweet guy. 
He represents everything good and pure about humanity. He wants to like read and prove himself to his uh, master. Like, look, look, I am a civilized creation. But he eventually becomes aware of human cruelty and decides that his only option is to seek revenge. Society makes the monster. Exactly. Exactly. The epitaph of the book includes a line from Milton's Paradise Lost, which reads, Did I request thee, maker from clay, to mold me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? So Frankenstein didn't ask to be made. This was literally my speech as soon as I was born. I came out of the womb and said that. Why did you create me? The world is so evil and awful. I didn't ask to be born. Just put me back in the womb. Just like get me back up there. I'm I'm done. That's why I spend every night crying in the fetal position. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. The sweet comfort. We're going to edit that out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So every th- everyone who encounters Frankenstein sees him as an abomination. Nobody accepts him. But Shelley is writing this to sort of prove to the reader, look, you shouldn't judge people by appearances. He represents everything that's good in us. And we need to let go of all our preconceptions wow. of what is beautiful. I'm not even joking this time. I wish that I had read this book in middle school because I feel like that's such a positive message for like... yeah people that don't feel like they fit into the standard box of society yeah. but still feel as though you know we we there's some validity to us or we have something to offer yeah frankenstein's one of the rare monsters who is actually not really a monster like in so much horror it's just crazed maniacs but frankenstein is way more deep and sympathetic than that well it really speaks to the the ability of the author to subvert the usual monster movie and really highlight that nah y'all humanity is the monster we're the monster society is the monster and it will corrupt even the most innocent yeah and it's crazy the movies don't even get this right because they play up the sensationalism the monster doesn't speak but in this he's just as civilized as everybody else but nobody sees that so in addition to this theme about othering frankenstein also sends a strong message about the ethics of science what should we create what is like not a transgression. We want to question the ethics of new technology and like gene sequencing or cloning. Like, is it really ethical to have all everybody's genetics on record because they want to know their family history? True. Actually, that is so pertinent because it also has to do with AI. Like if you're creating these, uh, these things that are possibly capable of sentient life, how far are you going to take it? That's your responsibility. So, you know, it, it, same thing goes with tinkering with AI. Like, you could possibly be creating something sentient, and then how are you going to go on? It's your responsibility to shape the future of that entity. Yeah, there was some technology company that produced these two AIs that started speaking to each other in their own language. Nope. Nuh-uh. And it freaked the scientists out so much that they just, like, unplugged them. They were Smash like, them. Uh-uh. See, yeah, it's the kind of thing you'll constantly have to think about if you're in science and it's never not relevant relevant yeah relevant. wow it's fantastic i would really recommend just i've got some sources here that i will post for everyone who's curious about reading more about this marvelous frankenstein monster if you want another fun frankenstein theme thing okay 
I, it's gonna it's gonna be a little work. Get on RuneScape. Get on the old school server of RuneScape, the 2007 one. They have it. It's an option. Do it, uh, and then go do the uh, Frankenstein's. Well, it's actually Frankenstein's quest. So all my RuneScapers out there, go to Mauritania <laughs> and talk to Doctor Frankenstein. It's an amazing quest. There's only three people that'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can't say I was really into RuneScape. I was more into World of Warcraft. Oh, I was a RuneScaper. Yeah. It's no secret either. There's two kinds of people in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people that played World of Warcraft and then like the losers like me that played RuneScape. Oh, I think World of Warcraft is for losers too. There's a hierarchy in the the Mm -hmm. MMORPG world. Yeah, it goes RuneScape, no, World of Warcraft, RuneScape, and then at the bottom it's League of Legends. Right, Maple Story is in there somewhere. Nobody should be proud of their MMO (laughs) stuff, but I am. I wear it like a badge. In fact, I need an old school RuneScape t-shirt coming soon. I'm going to do it. Do it. So are we... uh, We're finished. We're wrapping Frankenstein. All right. You want to roll into one more song and then uh, we can hop into my super spooky topic of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, Frankenstein's Hot Rod by the Hammerdowns. Hello and welcome back to Grim Creepers. I'm Camille Hoffman. And I'm Inez Flores. We just got done talking about Frankenstein and we're going to conclude our last episode of our season, our final first episode of the season. It's been so good. So good. It's been real. It's Mm -hmm. been fun. And it's been real fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All of the above. Checking all those boxes. Yes. So what have you got for us today? You wanted to surprise me this time. Yes. So today I have another very unsettling topic. So I'm going to be telling you about the black-eyed children. Not mm. to be confused with the popular pop sensation, black-eyed peas. Okay, Fergalicious. <laughs> yeah, yep. Fergalicious. The, uh, the black-eyed children, or B-E-K, black-eyed kids is the abbreviation people use. They're a terrifying cryptid. Part of what makes them so scary is it's a fairly modern phenomenon. So what's widely accepted as the first account um, of this encounter only dates back to 1996. Oh, so it's like the chupacabra, a young cryptid. Yes, a baby, a little baby cryptid, but they're actually children, so it's very weird. Yeah, so they're literal babies. Literal babies. Scary, scary babies. So, okay, the first account was written by this guy, Brian Bethel, um, who was... He was part of these ghost forums, right? So it's where people already are sharing their uh, paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, this man wrote an amazing post. So I'm going to read not all of it. It's so long. I kind of condensed things. I haven't changed anything that he's written, but I definitely have taken stuff out to make it shorter. Okay, But it's fantastic. And uh, I will stop here and give some commentary as well. But let me get into what Brian said. Let's listen to Brian. Let's hear what Brian had to say. Tell us, Brian. So he says, I don't really know what I'd call this story if I were submitting it for publication and fate or something of its ilk. Brian versus the evil, black-eyed, possibly vampiric or demonic, but at least not bloody, normal kids. But that doesn't have much of a ring to it. In parentheses, (laughs) shrug, and then a happy face. I love it. Okay, (laughs) but that's at least an accurate title. As so many things do, it all started off innocently. So Bethel writes about an old movie theater that shares a parking lot with the deposit box that he was going to. 
I drove by the theater and pulled into an empty parking space. Using the glow of the marquee to write my check, I was startled to hear a knock at the driver's side window of my car. I looked over and saw two children staring at me from the street. Both were boys. My initial impression is that they were somewhere between 10 and 14. Boy number one was the spokesman. Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not with words. (gasps) Boy number one was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover hooded shirt with sort of a checked gray pattern in jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive colored and had curly, medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin, a trace of freckles. His primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair was sort of a pale orange. They didn't appear to be related, at least directly. So pullover hoodies, they couldn't have been old ghosts then, right? Yeah, right. It seems like they're fairly um, modernly dressed. Nothing too too off-putting about that. Yeah. Right. So he says, oh, great, I thought. They're going to hit me up for money. And then the air changed. The spokesman smiled. And the sight, for some inexplicable reason, chilled my blood. I could feel flight or fright response kicking in. Something I knew instinctively was not right. But I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, yes? The spokesman smiled again broader this time his teeth were very very white hmm okay you're gonna have to help me it's Uh, those crest white strips you must use colgate (laughs) (laughs) um so i need to figure out what voice i'm gonna do for these kids and Mm -hmm. i guarantee it's not gonna be scary enough so i'm gonna try out a few different voices and by the end we'll have it figured out okay hey mister what's up We have a problem, he said. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction, quiet and calm, something I still couldn't put my finger on, made my desire to flee even greater. You see, my friend, we want to see the films, but we forgot our money, he continued. Oh, the films, you say. That's not what a normal child says. Right? In the 90s, if that. But we forgot our money, he continued. We need to go to our house to get it. Want to help us out? Oh, well, was the best reply that I could offer. Now, here's where things start to get strange. As if they weren't already. This is a little bit unnerving. This is the thing I love about ghost forums, right? Is like, that's all, that's all pretty fair play. Like, creepy settings, strange circumstances, sure. But then it really starts to get strange. Like, the quiet companion looked at the spokesperson with a mixture of confusion and guilt in his face. He seemed in some way shocked. Not with his friend's brusque manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed, too. Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. Car salesmen could learn a thing from this kid. We just want to go to our house. We're just two little boys. That really scared me. Something in the tone and diction again set off my alarm bells. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was perceiving about these two figures that was wrong. Well, probably the fact that they identified themselves as two little boys, because little boys don't like to call themselves little boys. Right? Like, nothing is scarier than being like, oh, I'm harmless. Don't you want to help me? 
I'm harmless. I'm just a little boy. I promise I won't hurt you brutally in some kind of tragic accident. Right? It's like, uh, I wasn't sketched out. Now I'm extremely sketched out. Your little boy. No, stop. Stop it. Just squirt him with some water. Hey, weird little boy. Get out of here. Where is your mother? Um, okay, this I, I love this part. I felt myself digging my fingernails into the steering wheel. What movie? What movie are you going to see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, of course. <laughs> oh, so dated. <laughs> yes, sir. We want to see Mortal Kombat. Will you please get us some money? Oh, I kind of like that voice for the kids, huh? Yes. Yes, more like this. That's a little more creepy and a little less high. It feels a little bit like those uh, weird kids from Kids Next Door. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> okay. So uh, now a mystery solved. We know where they're from. Yeah, right? Mortal Kombat, of course, the spokesman said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and the clock in my car. Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour, the last showing of the evening. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I said. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected that I might be detecting that something was not above board. Come on, mister. Let us in. We can't get into your car until you do, you know, the spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in. We'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed towards the door lock, which was engaged, and was in the process of opening it. I pulled away probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. Oh, hypnosis. Right? And that's something I'm going to bring up, too, because that's very similar to uh, men in black encounters. But we're going to circle back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I turned back. Er, Um... I offered weakly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. Oh, God, their eyes. Their eyes. They were coal black. No pupil, no iris, just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. So creepy. Right. They got those gray's eyes. Oh, my God. Right. Just mm-hmm. like nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the last few things that happened were pretty damn scary. <laughs> so uh, once the children see the horror come over his face, they get increasingly desperate. Um, so the taller boy says, come on, mister. He said, we won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. Which, again, immediately implicates yourself. Oh, my God. No one I'm, thought you had a gun. There's no worse liar than this kid. <laughs> you're, you're making yourself so scary. Mm-hmm. Like, you, no one thinks little boys are sketchy until you say, we're little boys. And then no one thought you had a gun until you were like... These are not things that people would have assumed. It's just something that a scary little... It sounds like they're like plants or something for like a cop, like undercover, yeah, like kind right? of conspirators. Totally. They're just like, just let us in your car. Mm-hmm. Just sell us the dope so we can arrest you. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, Bethel says, the last statement scared the living hell out of me. Because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, we don't need a gun. Oh, <laughs> 
So as Bethel kicked the car into reverse, the boy commands, we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. Oh, so that's like a vampire thing, too. Vampires have to be invited inside. Yes! And uh, we're, we're going to circle back to that, too. He speeds off. When he looks back, they've vanished. And from then on, more people start to report similar occurrences with these uh, unsettling entities. Very unsettling. We're all... So that started in 98. Um, and the reports that followed all varied, but they all had the same sort of structure. Um, so some children between 5 and 16, usually in pairs... Asking for something that requires being invited into a place. What I find especially unsettling is throughout the 90s, the encounters were like, you know, some kids knock on your door and ask to use the phone or, you know, come up to your car and say they need a ride or they're waiting for their mom or, or something of the sort. But as the uh, as we move into the early 2000s, uh, they don't change their behavior. So it doesn't seem like they really acclimated to the times changing. Hmm. So back then, it wasn't rare for someone to knock on your door and be like, especially if you know the kids in your neighborhood, to be like, oh, hey, can I use your phone? You know, I'm not going to be at home before the streetlights come on, yada, yada. You know, so that's something that still in that time wasn't necessarily so so off-putting and weird Mm -hmm. it's pre-cell phones and kids would just be out until dark like constantly and that's something you really don't see now because everybody's home playing video games exactly and that's even what some people wrote in their modern accounts they're like i i asked her i was like don't you have a cell phone sweetie like you know it gets more unsettling as time goes forward because now you have these people that are doing something antiquated But it's even scarier now because it's not something that you see so common. These children show up and they always act like they're in need of something. But the circumstances are always kind of weird. Uh, For example, one lady uh, sees a couple of girls at her front door. The girl that speaks, it also seems like they're usually in these pair where one of them is older and does most of the talking. Um, So the older girl says, oh, please, can we just come in? I need to call my mom and dry off from the rain. I'm soaking wet. But she was completely dry. Uh, so, yeah, it's just yeah, some weird I, stuff like that. I like how their superpower is just being extremely bad liars. Yeah, right. It's like, well, and that's the thing, too. So there's no reports of a child with black eyes ever hurting anyone or at causing any physical mischief. But that's only because no one ever invites them in. Worst like, cryptids ever. Worst like, cryptids ever. They try so hard, but they're just so bad at not being super creepy and terrifying that everyone's like no (laughs) what are you nuts no No way so uh, that's pretty much like the the core story of the children with the black eyes but what i thought was really interesting is how they tie into a lot of other cryptids and paranormal stories that we've already heard right Mm -hmm. so like i said before the mothman thing where people people report having this unnatural sense of dread just wash over them as soon as they start interacting with them you know and it's this terror that's specifically different than anything they felt before yeah physical Um, terror yeah just that physical like holy moly yeah like brian said where he could feel his body saying fight or flight fight or flight fight or fight Mm -hmm. something's wrong immediately total alarm bells in his head yeah seriously um and then like you said the elements of vampirism where 
there, they need to be invited in. Yeah, same thing with the hypnosis. Hypnosis is very common to more modern vampires. You can control them and make them submit to your will. Uh, I think that's part of what kind of shifted the the view of vampires into these like more like sexual, like desirable people is because you have to be suave. Which is why these children are so ineffective. They need to take, you know, a char- some kind of charisma class, like how They're to so bad. win friends and influence people. <laughs> Well, they needed some kind of life coach to help them realize their full cryptid potential. Right? They're just like, they're just so bad at what they do. Another thing I thought was pretty interesting, too, is all of these uh, experiences, the people didn't notice the black eyes until about like halfway through. So it's not like these kids with scary black eyes show up at the door. All the circumstances around their like mannerisms and stuff in general is what puts people off. And it only gets to that point where they're completely terrified is when they notice the black eyes. Okay, okay, theory time. Yes, let's go. Maybe they feed on fear. And so they need to lure people in and like they have to slowly transition into their unnatural form so they can really just draw the like emotion out of people. Oh, my God. That's such a good theory. That is such a good theory. Yes. Because they don't seem to be doing anything else afterwards. Like they're never able to realize it. Maybe it's just the fear that they want. Yeah, and or maybe the next level of that fear would be to invite them into your space. And I'm sure once they're in your space, they're in a a power dynamic where they can then cause as much fear as they need and get ultimately more powerful. Just suck all that fear right out of you. Yep, but uh, people just slam the door in their faces. I feel like more people talk to encyclopedia salesmen than talk to these kids. Greetings. Would you like to discuss our Lord and Savior? (laughs) Um, Your eyes are completely pitch black. I'm gonna say no. Hail Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, let's uh... Well, actually, let's not do one more song. Okay. I think we should talk about We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, um, but I just want to reiterate how exciting uh, Friday night was. Yeah, because like we said, we got nominated for a Becky at BeccaFest 2019. Yeah, so thank you to everyone. Our promo for Grim Creepers won Best Radio Promo. Yeah, it was just very exciting, and I, I appreciate all the love and that you guys like what we're doing. We're so lucky to have access to this incredible studio where we can do basically whatever we want just be allowed to run free and be our wildest scariest selves yes i'm glad that we have this platform to be able to do what we want with this show because the direction is so different than most everything else that is happening in the studio so it's cool that we're we're given this platform and we could just be weird and talk about uh scary dark uh unsettling things like children with completely black eyes yeah so we really hope you'll join us in the fall when we start becca 505 and move on to the next level of radio and podcasting oh my god also yes wow last show till fall um except Except. uh, over the summer we're gonna try and maybe get together do some special features for you um so let us know if you have any ideas maybe 
maybe we'll do like a horror nights or something like that something mm-hmm. interactive so yeah we'll Ooh. stay in touch you know what i was thinking i was thinking it'd be fun to do movie screenings at the depot if they have some kind of mechanism for that Ooh. because we could do like mystery science theater where we like have some microphones and we do some commentary yeah see there's so many options where we can uh we can expand this show so stay tuned uh stay in touch on our instagram send us dms of ideas if stories have you seen something really scary you just need to get it off your chest we have a call-in number so you can just call in and uh, talk to us anytime well over the summer you know just send us a dm and that too thank you all so much for being here with with us through the semester i really can't wait to hear from you all again it's been a delight going on this journey with y'all um from the beginning of the semester to now um so yeah it's been so rad thanks for everyone that sent in their nightmare stories thanks to everyone that listened thanks to andy b who gave us a chat one time saying that he liked our show <laughs> and thanks to, thank you all so much and let's listen to freak show by the basement tones